Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, the aquarium hobby abounds with rules, best practices, and guidelines. And of course, the world of botanical-style aquariums is not all that different than the so-called mainstream aquarium world in most respects. I mean, we have best practices and guidelines developed over the years regarding the preparation and addition of botanicals, monitoring water parameters, and managing water quality. Uh, And the rules part... Well, there's a slight departure there. I mean, one of the best things about these types of aquariums is that there's no hard and fast style rules. There are only nature's, you know, restrictions and limitations, you know, things that are governed by nature. That being said, the and best practices aside, every situation, every tank, every nuance is unique and requires sort of customized solutions for every aquarium. Sure, uh, the methodology and strategy might be something which we can more or less standardize, but it's not, you know, not the formula. Unless you're trying to replicate the characteristics of a specific natural habitat, and even in that instance, it's sort of open to, you know, for interpretation. Uh, as an example, uh, the Rio Negro and its, you know, tributaries provide us many different fishes that we love to keep in aquariums. And the Negro's water is extremely poor in mineral content with conductivity as low as 8 microsimians. And it's extremely acidic with pHs ranging from 2.9 to 5.2. That's pretty damn acidic by aquarium standards, isn't it? Like, how can you replicate water like that in your aquarium? Do you want to? Well, of course, you'd start by using RO, DI, water, and conditioning it with botanicals and such, which might only get you so far. Uh, there would likely be additional steps required, like the addition of acid solutions, different pH reducing natural materials in your filter, etc., and more detailed monitoring, <clears throat> excuse me, and slightly different water quality and quality maintenance approaches. This stuff touches on the fringes of what a lot of us are comfortable with doing. It's not a problem, it's just a, something different that we have to do. And I know I'm not all that keen on the idea of playing with acid solutions and stuff. I mean, there's undoubtedly some potential benefits I'm leaving on the table by not chasing down a super low pH for some fishes, but it's not on my list of exciting things I want to do at the moment anyways. And wouldn't it be easier to create and maintain these conditions with some compromising, like finding out the average of the the pH in these regions or some other parameters of the habitat that you're trying to replicate and either going for it or perhaps for the higher, easier to achieve limits of pH, etc., etc.? Even with sort of a compromised accommodation approach, you'd still be providing your fishes with environmental conditions that are probably far more realistic than what, you know, are typically provided in aquariums, right? Is there a significant benefit in doing that? I believe so, but that's going to require some experimentation over time to prove. That's what we need to do. Yeah, it's easy for me to sit here and talk about it, but it will require some work to back up this hypothesis. And again, we've accomplished many things without going too crazy into you know, trying to more accurately represent the natural conditions or more exactingly represent the natural conditions, I should say. However, I just can't help but wonder what we'd accomplish if we go just that much further. Uh, The examples which nature provides us are many and they're varied. Even subtle nuances, you know, it's just achieving a low pH, like the utilization of materials like soil, 
more concentrated quantities of leaves, water flow, lighting, temperature manipulations, all those little subtle things could have some extremely positive effects on our fishes, right? I sometimes think that we as a group tend to be a bit hard on ourselves. Like I've seen fellow hobbyists act almost apologetic for not creating super exact quote-unquote natural conditions in a given aquarium as if there's some universal arbitrator judging our work and that's toxic and the more we tend to make you know we tend to make these things problems or requirements in the hobby and that sometimes is to our detriment right i mean when we look at the hobby this way it tends to open our eyes a bit just look at the definitions of these two words and consider how they apply in in the context of our hobby problem is defined as a matter or solution regarded as unwelcome or harmful and needing to be dealt with and overcome Whereas a requirement is defined as a thing that is compulsory, a necessary condition. Interesting, right? Uh, in this, to this point, few columns that I've written, uh, and, and I don't know if we did a uh, podcast or not. I don't recall, but I know we did the, the blog on this. Um, but few columns that I've written in the last year have drawn as much interesting response as uh, the one that we did a few months back on rethinking the hobby's perception of killifishes, one of my favorite groups of fishes. And it kind of made me feel good, not only because there's a larger interest and a hunger to learn more about Killies than I ever even imagined, but there is a big perception problem among retailers, hobby pundits, and even hobbyists about why these fishes aren't more popular and available. And the discussion online and elsewhere has been surprisingly broad and wide-ranging with both hobbyists and retailers chiming in. It was pretty cool. Uh, and, and because everyone seems to want the same thing, a broader availability and appeal for this amazing group of fishes. And of course, many of the same concerns arise when we breach these kind of topics, though. Hobbyists find certain fishes to be difficult to find. Retailers find the same fishes impractical to sell. It's a seemingly difficult, you know, conundrum, or is it? I mean, again, lots of hobbyists tend to look at killifishes as problematic, as if keeping them is fraught with some issues that would make them, you know, impossible to ever have a greater hobby appeal. I just don't buy into that thinking. I just can't. Now, I have a problem with classifying stuff as problems when it comes to our aquarium endeavors. I think we tend to consider... <clears throat> excuse me, fishes that have specialized requirements of keeping, breeding, or marketing as problems instead of simply as requirements. What makes these problems? The fact that we just can't place a rare fish from a specialized environment into a glass of tap water and walk away? It's not a problem that corals, for example, require saltwater light and a chemical environment suitable for their long-term care. It's simply a set of requirements that we need to meet if we want to keep them. Some fishes are aggressive. So is this a problem? Well, only if you decide that they must be kept in community tanks with docile guppies or whatever. Some fishes require brackish water. Again, is that a problem? Only if you don't have a way of mixing and measuring salt concentration, right? Perception, perspective, point of view. If you want to sell rare epistogramma to a wider market, for example, it's not a problem. It's a challenge to figure out a way to keep them comfortable and healthy in order to accomplish this and to communicate this to, you know, to prospective customers. If we determine that it's not practical for us to meet requirements of the fishes in order to keep and breed them or sell them, well, that's simply a situation where we cannot meet the requirements in order to accomplish this. Just because I can't keep African cichlids with my acid water loving tetras doesn't make them a problem, right? So the word problem, in my humble opinion, gives us a cushion to fall back on when things that we want to do in the hobby require, you know, that certain steps that we're unaware of, uncertain of, or unwilling to take or cannot undertake present themselves. The challenge is to determine if the requirements are insurmountable for us or if there's a way we can meet the requirements in a manner that's practical given our resources. Again, a great example is the perception that blackwater crimps have had for so many years in the hobby as if they were a problem. I think that the problem of blackwater tanks for years was that the hobby saw them as dirty, dangerous, non-sustainable, etc. 
we didn't tend to look at the Blackwater environment as one that simply required that we meet a specific set of parameters. We didn't look at keeping Blackwater Aquarium simply as an endeavor that required an understanding of the processes involved in developing technique and practices to accomplish our goals. Rather, we as hobbyists saw this, you know, foreboding, dark environment, and we had low pH and all sorts of seemingly contrary and scary processes in there. We made it a problem. It took doing things that we hadn't previously done before, researching exactly what it was, what is required to make Blackwater, and doing some things which were perceived by the majority of hobbyists as unconventional, perhaps, to get there. But we did. And now we approach keeping Blackwater Aquariums as not as a problem to overcome, but as a system which requires us to do specific things in order to do it successfully. Look, it wasn't like we were creating warp drive or trying to solve you know, nuclear fusion or something, but it's an example, one of many in the hobby, which simply required us to look at what exactly we wanted to accomplish, understand what it was just a bit, and develop ways to work within the requirements and parameters laid out by nature to do it in our aquariums. It's still a work in progress, but we're well on the way to making stable, long-term, sustainable blackwater aquariums a far more common and achievable thing in the hobby. And it's not quite so scary, is it? Let's not make every set of requirements of our fishes problems. Rather, let's find ways to meet their needs. Let's think this through when we want to get real, as we say. I think we can do all sorts of stuff previously thought to be unachievable if we look at it in a more positive way. It's like, we've got this. The important thing to remember, something that we tend to forget now and again, is the fact that we're trying to replicate on many levels a specialized aquatic habitat, both functionally and aesthetically. And this involves some trial and error, some experiments, and some time learning. In fact, the entire experience of a blackwater or botanical style aquarium boils down to a process and a pace that helps, you know, foster that gradual yet inexorable evolution of the aquarium. And let there be no doubt, a botanical style aquarium does evolve over time, regularly and steadily changing and progressing. We've all seen this. As we've mentioned before, it might be the perfect expression of the Japanese concept of wabi-sabi popularized by Takashi Amano, which accepts the transience and imperfection of things. This is a huge point, something with everyone that works with Blackwater and Botanical Style Aquariums comes to know and, and usually accept whether they think about it consciously or not. We need to have an attitude which doesn't allow us to panic, to make fast short-term moves in favor of longer-term outcomes. It's a very different philosophy. You need to accept different aesthetics. You need flexibility. You may even have to accept short-term losses for a greater long-term good. You need to have faith in nature because you're trying to replicate nature on so many levels. It's a dance, an art form, a process, and an evolution. Seemingly chaotic sometimes, other times maddeningly slow. Always alluring and always deferring to nature. Yet, that's what we need to do when we try to get real, right? I think it is. Until next time, stay dedicated, stay engaged, stay observant, stay diligent, stay patient, and always stay wet. This is Scott Bellman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.